if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to 2 Samuel 11. 2 Samuel 11. All right, we're in a, a very short series, maybe call it a mini-series, called Let's Go. Last week and this week. Last week we talked about coming in, and this week we're going to talk about going out. So if you wanted to name the two messages, last week could have been Let's Come In. This week we're going to talk about Let's Go Out. Let's Go Out. And I know you, I told you to go right there Second Samuel, but just where we got this from was First Kings chapter 3. Remember Solomon said, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. And so that's where we got this from, where this phrase, let us come in and let us go out. We took this phrase, coming in and going out, and we saw that it's all through Scripture. It's in Old Testament, and it's in New Testament. And what we found out is that those terms, going out and coming in, were really military terms, where coming in referred to worship. Remember that? We talked about that last week. And going out refers to witnessing. All right? Coming in refers to worship. Going out refers to witnessing. We talked about coming into God's presence. We talked about worshiping on a daily basis and laying down all your burdens and coming in. But with coming in, we also need to go out. We not only need to worship, but we also need to witness. God has called us to do that. Let me ask you a question. What do you think would happen if a person said, you know what? I'm, I'm tired of dealing with everybody else. All I'm going to do is just worship God. That's all I want to do. I just want to be in the presence of the Lord. I want to come into his house. I want to worship. I want to pray. I want to sing and I want to receive from the Lord. I want to bless the Lord. I want to have a tight relationship with the Lord. And that's all I want to do. What would happen if a person did that? Well, and they said, I'm just going to spend the rest of my life coming in. Now, think about it. It doesn't sound like a bad thing, does it? I mean, coming into the presence of the Lord, that's where we want to get to, is his presence. But if we said, I'm going to spend the rest of my life worshiping, I'm going to spend uh, all of my time in God's presence, I'm not going out anymore. I'm just going to come into God's presence, that it actually does have some bad implications. And I'll show you that here in a minute. I'm going to show you here in Scripture. You see, the reason for that is this, is because God created you and me to be a river, not a reservoir. He created us to receive and give, not to just receive and hoard. Ever seen that show Hoarders, right? Well, sometimes we can be spiritual hoarders. We can be Christian hoarders, always receiving and getting the word of God and, and getting his presence, but never giving out. If you've ever gone by some water and you see a, a, maybe a body of water and it, it looks kind of stale. I don't know if you've ever seen that. And maybe it's got a, you know, some sort of skim algae or, or something like that on top of it. And you go by there and say, well, I don't, I would never swim in that. That's because if that water, it only has water coming in but it doesn't have anything going out. 
You ever seen when it rained and, and there's puddles that gather, maybe in the street or in the yard, and uh, after a while those puddles, if, if they're still there, if they haven't evaporated, they kind of look old and you know, you think, I would never drink that water. I would never, uh, you know, I don't even want to touch that nasty water. That's because it's being a reservoir. There's no flow. But when you see a stream, it seems like there's life in there. Fish and all kind of, uh, you know, stream life. And the, and the water just looks like life. It's because it's flowing. God designed us to receive and to give. To receive and to give. Now, we're taught this doctrine of giving and receiving when really the doctrine is really receiving and then giving. Really it is. We've gone over this, you know, over some years in, in Christianity and we've talked about giving and receiving, giving so that we can receive. And it is a principle. You do do that. But really, I believe where God wants us to get to is come into his presence, receive from him, and then give. In other words, he wants to get us to the point where you don't have to give in order to receive. Now, maybe if we're at a point in our life where that's where our level of faith is, where that's where we are financially, whatever it is, we need to get into that principle of sowing and reaping. Because God did say that as long as the earth remains... There will be seed time and harvest. But I really believe that God wants to get us to a place where we've sown enough seed. And it's not about sowing as much anymore as it's about receiving from God and then giving out. Now you might say that that's semantics, and maybe it is. But our focus should be on receiving from God. Giving, no problem. We do that, second hand. We just give. No problem. So if it's sowing, great. We just, but it's not even, we just giving. And that's what God created us to do. Who he created us to be. When you receive something from God first, then it is so much sweeter to be able to give out. It's not so much a sacrifice. It doesn't hurt as much because you know the purpose for which you've received it. When you stop ministering, when you stop giving, you're in trouble. And I'll show you that here in Scripture. Now, last week we looked at Solomon, and Solomon said, I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. My father, David, knew how to do these things, but I don't know, and therefore I need wisdom. And we know David was a great worshiper. How many know that David was a great worshiper? He knew how to worship the Lord. In fact, one time when they went and got the presence of the Lord and was bringing it back to Jerusalem, he worshiped right out of his clothes and didn't care what anybody thought, including his wife, right? David was a great worshiper, but David was also a great warrior. I mean, when people saw David, they knew whose side he was on. There was no doubt that he represented the Lord Jesus. No doubt. And that's where we need to be. He was a man after God's own heart. David was a great man. But we know something else about David, don't we? We know that David had some moral failures. We know he had a big-time moral failure, as great as he was, a man after God's own heart. We know that because we've read it. We've heard sermons on it. We've heard messages on it. We know that David had a moral failure. But wouldn't it be amazing, wouldn't it be incredible if we knew why? Wouldn't it be great if the Bible told us why he had that moral failure? Wouldn't it be great so that we could avoid this type of thing? 
And wouldn't it be something if it had something to do with coming in and going out? Kind of know where anybody know where I'm going with this this morning? Sister Sharon and I talked about this last week, actually. But I already had the sermon, so it was the Lord. That was the Lord. Second Samuel chapter 11, look at verse 1. It says this, It happened in the spring of the year at the times when the kings, and if everybody would say this phrase with me, at the times when the kings, at the times when the kings, one more time, at the times when the kings, when they go out to battle, that David sent Joab. Now, was David a king? David was a king at this time. We're talking about the times when the kings go out. But instead of going out, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. When all the other kings went out, David stayed in church. When all the other kings were sent out to battle, David stayed at home. He stayed at church. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in church. David remained in Jerusalem. Look at verse 2. Then it happened. Then it happened. After all the kings went out, but David stayed home. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. A friend of mine preached a message called On the Roof with Binoculars. (laughs) Okay, very simple question we can ask here. Very simple. Would David have even seen Bathsheba if he was where he was supposed to be? If he was where he was, where God wanted him to be, not in church, would he have even, would he have even been tempted by Bathsheba? David fell when he stopped going out. When he stopped going out. Solomon said, my father knew how to do this. Come in and go out. I don't yet know how to do it. But he stopped going out and he failed. It's because God designed us and God designed you to give. He designed you for life to flow through you. Now listen, when you stop giving, you tend to turn inward. When you stop giving, you begin to look at all of your problems. All of my bills are due. Boy, my relationship with my mom and my brother is bad. I hate getting up, going to my job. My car isn't working like it should. You, you begin to focus on all of the issues that you have. You turn inward when you stop giving. But when you are in a place where you're giving, whether it's love, finances, relationship, whatever it is, when you're in a place where you're giving... It seems like God is not only able, but he's willing to take care of some of these other things that the enemy attacks you with. When you're in a place of giving, you begin to focus on your own needs when you don't give. 
But the way that you get your needs satisfied is by giving. David began to look at his own needs. All of us have our own needs, our own God-given needs. But the issue is that Satan will try to give us things to fulfill those needs that only God can fulfill. He tries to give us a substitute that will not fulfill those God-given needs. And that's exactly what happened here. David had a God-given need. Satan put a substitute in there for him to fulfill it. He had a need to be out battling for the Lord because it was the time when the kings went out. We're talking about let's go. Now, I want you to think about this. Whenever you, and I know many people may be like me or may not, but I know I'm this way sometimes and have been this way. And whenever you hear a sermon, we all have kind of a tendency sometimes to think, you know, what's in it for me? Or what, what am I going to get out of this? How can this help me? Say, oh, pastor's gonna, Pastor Phil is going to preach on the Holy Spirit. Oh, great. Now, what can the Holy Spirit do for me? How can that help me to grow? Oh, we're talking about the kingdom of God and kingdom principles. Oh, great. What can the kingdom of God do for me? Hey, we're preaching on let's go. Let's witness. Hmm. I don't know if I like that one so much because that means I might have to do something, something I have to do. (laughs) But listen, if you reach out to others, it will do something for you. It's amazing how this happens. You're only fulfilled as a Christian when you are giving, when you are reaching out, when you are witnessing. Now look at Luke chapter 14. This is is New Testament. Here's a New Testament picture now of coming in and going out. Title of last week's message was coming in. If you want to title this one, it would be Let's Go Out. Here is a New Testament version of going out. Verse 15 of chapter 14 says this. Now, when one of those sat at the table with him, talking about Jesus, he said to him, I want you to really kind of get this in your spirit as we go through this. He said to Jesus, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, right before this, I'm going to continue on, but right before this, Jesus began to give a lot of instructions about kingdom of God living. Okay? So that's where he gets this from. And now they're sitting down at the table and they're eating. And this this man is sitting there and he says, oh, this is great. And blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. He's talking about that great feast when we go to be with the Lord. But notice, follow this now says, then he, verse 16, talking about Jesus, said to him, the man who said, blessed is he who shall eat bread. He said, a certain man gave a great supper and he invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, or you could say, come in, for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, 
I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. Please, I ask that you excuse me. I ask that you have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go, or go out. Go out quickly into the streets, into the lanes of the city. I believe the King James may say, to the highways and the byways. And bring in here the poor and the maimed. And the lame and the blind, by the way, that was us. We were not part of the original feast. God said, go out and get the maimed and the lame and the poor and the blind. By the way, that was you and me. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, say these words with me, go out. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Now this is an incredible story, an incredible parable to me. Notice that they're all sitting around talking about this great supper And how it's going to be when we are transformed from this life into uh, our life with Jesus. And we shed these bodies and we're at that great feast with him. Remember in Revelation it talks about the great marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's what they're talking about here. That's what this man is referencing when he says, Blessed are they who will eat at that supper. And they want to talk about how great it's going to be. And Jesus says, let me tell you something about that. And he begins to tell them this parable. Okay, this is typically called the parable of the great supper. Now, isn't it interesting that as soon as this man started talking about how great it's going to be, that Jesus never even acknowledged what he said. His mind went to all those who will not be at the supper. This man was thinking it's going to be great to be in heaven with you, Lord, sitting at that great table, marriage supper of the Lamb, the great feast. And Jesus immediately, his mind went to all those who were lost. This parable is called the parable of the great supper. I kind of have my own name. It's kind of funny to me for this parable. I call it the parable of the great excuses. And each each excuse has its own name. And those are the three points that I want to give you this morning. So if you want, write these down. The first one, I call it the case of the missing ground. A big mystery. The case of the missing ground. This guy bought some ground. And he said, I need to go look at it. Why? It's not going anywhere. Ground has never gotten up and left. Someone invited you to the supper. He said, well, I'm sorry, I can't come. I need to go look at my ground. No one has ever stolen ground. Now, they might steal the deed to it, but they've never taken the ground away. 
You've never gone out, bought some ground and went back and said, hey, where's my ground? Someone's stolen my ground. Call the police. No. It almost sounds like he bought the ground without looking at it, doesn't it? I bought some ground and now I need to go look at it. Well, why would you buy some ground without looking at it? That's kind of the way swamp land is sold, isn't it? I.e. the Louisiana Purchase. No, just kidding if you're from Louisiana. (laughs) And then the other thing is these banquets that we're talking about were held at night. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but had flashlights been invented yet? Car headlights? How are you going to go look at the ground? I bought a piece of ground. I need to go look at it. That's crazy. The case of the missing ground. Now, here's the second one. The case of the radioactive oxen. Now, there's a reason I say that. He says, I recently bought some oxen. I need to go test them. Again, it's at night. How are you going to plow at night? Apparently, these oxen glow in the dark. Or one of them has a very shiny nose. And if you saw it, you would say that it glows. I don't know how you go at night to test out the oxen. It's, it's crazy. These excuses are just absolutely crazy to me as I reread this parable. And maybe he was going out to plow the field of the other guy. Maybe they were best friends. I don't know. He was going out with this radioactive oxen. That's how the other guy was going to see his ground. These two guys must be friends. I bought some ground and now I need to go look at it. I bought some oxen. Now I need to go test it. That's like saying I bought a car and now I need to go do a test drive. I would think that you would test drive the car, come on, before driving it. I mean, who does that? So these excuses make no sense at all. And then the third one, the case of the killer bride. Here's why. Think about this. These banquets were incredible. And during this time, people didn't eat like this on a daily basis. You know, a lot of people were farmers. There wasn't a Kroger or even a farmer's market, any type of thing like that. They, were, they ate what they could grow. And so they didn't eat in abundance back then. Unless you were royalty, you ate very modestly. And if you had a big family, you had to kind of ration it out. You got to save some for tomorrow. They struggled to make sure that there was enough for everyone to eat. Now, we don't understand that because today we live in a land of more than enough. And we can get just about anything we want at any time of the day or night. Any type of food we want at any time of the day or night. But they couldn't. Their diet consisted of a very bland diet at this time. And sometimes they just had enough to feed the family. So when someone was throwing a banquet, it was very generous. And you could go and you could just feast. No one turned down banquets. I believe that's why Jesus was using this because it was just so foolish. I wonder if they were listening to this parable and laughing. Thinking that's just silly. No one would do that. Now the other thing is, Some people are born rich, born wealthy. Some people have rich parents, and when they get married, they have a lot that comes into the marriage. They don't have to want for anything. 
Most of us were not like that. Most of us, when we got married, we had to scrape some things together. Amen. And if we did get money at our wedding, uh, what we did was we had to buy some things like old tablecloths and blinds and curtains and, you know, things like that. Food, stuff to eat. You know, it was, it was, it was something getting started. And so, here's what I'm getting at. When a, a young couple gets together, what young couple, and I, I don't want to offend anybody, but especially the guy, would turn down an opportunity to eat such a great feast and not have to pay for any of it? I didn't have to go to the store and buy anything. We didn't have to go for takeout. None of that. Somebody just invited us over for dinner. Who would not do that? Guess what, honey? We don't have to endure takeout tonight. We can save, shake and bake for tomorrow night. Come on, let's go eat. We've been invited to the dinner. I mean, the other thing is when you, you know, when you just get married, some of you may not be married, maybe you're dating or, you know, maybe you think about getting married one day. But for those of us who are married, if you remember back when you first got married, you had to kind of learn each other too. And in most marriages, I know there's some marriages where the guy cooks. I know that. But... In a lot of marriages, the wife cooks and she has to kind of learn her husband what he likes and what he doesn't like. I mean, some husbands don't like cheese and you're used to cooking cheese. So you have to learn that. And the wife kind of has to learn her husband. So it's kind of a, a struggle. I mean, there's, and, and all wives and husbands who cook don't come into the marriage, especially if you get married very young. Uh, some don't come into the marriage knowing how to cook all that well. You kind of got to learn that as well, don't you? And then so getting invited to this feast, to me, no one would turn that down. It's just crazy. I, I remember I had, a, I had a friend, two friends who were uh, in, in high school together. And I went to the army after high school and uh, came back and they had they gotten married. And uh, they invited me over, and to me, they were the two most unlikely people to ever get married. And uh, but they got married, and then they invited me over for dinner. All right, and so I went over their apartment for dinner, just me, and they invited me because I was friends of both of them. And I got to the apartment there, and uh, he, the guy, opened the door, and smoke just billowed from the house in the kitchen, and. So we, I came on in and we sat down and he was eating burned baked potatoes. And I, I said, so she left to go to the other room. She was the one who cooked. And I leaned over. I said, why are you eating burned baked potatoes? And he pointed over to the couch. He said, because I'm trying to stay off of that. <laughs> I'm eating this potato. He said, you better eat yours too. <laughs> and I said, well, why, why isn't the smoke alarm going off? He said, I turned, I unhooked it. <laughs> now, along those lines, the other thing I think is funny about this, this whole parable is, if, if you look back at these three situations, you'll notice that, you know, the, the first guy said, well, I bought, I bought a piece of land. I ask that you please excuse me. And then the second guy said, well, I, I bought, you know, five yoke of oxen, and so I asked that you uh, would excuse me. And the third guy said, well, I just got married. I, I can't come. It's, 
No, you don't have to excuse me. I just can't come. I mean, can't you see going over to the guy's house? Hey, can you come over? He's, I can't come. <laughs> I just got married. This, this is not going to happen. <laughs> now look, verse 18 there. It's amazing to me. And, and here's what, well, here's what Jesus is saying. I won't, I won't read it. Here's what he's saying. Any excuse, any excuse at all not to accept Christ is foolish. It's just crazy. And here's where I'm going with all of that. Lost people come up with excuses all the time and all sorts of excuses. I mean, I've, I've asked some of my friends, and I, I think this is to me, I haven't taken a poll or, or looked it up, uh, anything like that. But to me, I think the number one excuse of all time is one that I often get if I ask someone to come to church is, uh, I'm not going to come to church because, uh, well, there's hypocrites at church. Really? There's hypocrites at church? That's your excuse? I mean, you may have heard that, and you may even think, well, that, you know, that is true, so that's why they don't. Really? Come on, that's not an excuse. There's hypocrites at the ball game. There's hypocrites at the mall. There's hypocrites at the movie theater. There's hypocrites on the golf. There's a lot of hypocrites on the golf course. <laughs> I, you know those other hypocrites. <laughs> I would rather spend a few years with hypocrites in church than an eternity with hypocrites separated from God. Because that's where you're going. That's what you're going to do. You're going to be with hypocrites. So let's just get that excuse out of the way. There's hypocrites everywhere. There's hypocrites in your family. And if you look around in your family and friends and you don't see any hypocrites, guess what? I won't go any further with that. You might have to look in the mirror because you might be the hypocrite. I'm not calling any names. I'll call any names. A hypocrite is someone who professes to be something that they're not, or professes, in this case, to be a Christian, and they're really not Christians. So, see, to say I'm going to throw my life away because of some counterfeit Christians doesn't make any sense to me. It's like me, you come over and you see me just throwing money into the fireplace. You say, what are you doing throwing money into the fireplace? And I say, well, I saw some counterfeit bills. So I'm just going to throw it all into the fireplace. That's crazy, isn't it? Well, that's what non-Christians do. When they say, I'm not coming to church because of hypocrites, you're going to throw your life away because of a few hypocrites? This thing is about Jesus. And he's not, last time I checked, he is not a hypocrite. He gave his life for you and for me. Why would you throw your life away because you saw a counterfeit Christian? That's what Jesus is trying to say. There is no reason not to accept me. Verse 23 there, he says, go out and compel them. He says to compel them. The Greek word for compel there means to constrain by force. You might have seen this on maybe a movie or a cop show or something, like when they get a guy up against the wall and they put his hand behind his back like this, and now all of a sudden, no matter how big he is, he can't move because they have his hand like this. See, that's the constrain by force or compel. Now listen, don't go out and get somebody to come to church by doing that. This is a, this is a spiritual example. <laughs> compel with your words and your lifestyle. You can compel, you can constrain by doing that. You can be such an influence on others that they won't have a choice to come to church. Think about it. They're sitting around the table here with him eating. And Jesus said... 
how, one of them said how great it would be, and Jesus immediately went to, listen, what about the lost? I know it's great, but what about the lost? What about those who are not with us? His mind goes to all those who will be, not to those who will be with him, but all those who will not be with him at the meal. And there's one reason that they're not going to be with him. It's because they didn't accept the invitation. But there could be another reason why they're not here. Could it be they never received an invitation? Maybe no one invited them. So in essence, listen to what Jesus is saying. It's pretty strong language here, what he says. If you, if you, if you really read between the lines and, and, and really hone in on what Jesus is saying, if you get a rhema word of what Jesus is saying here, listen to what he says. See if you, see if you don't get this. Pretty strong language. They're sitting there at the table. The man says, oh, blessed are those who are going to be at the kingdom feast and feast in the table uh, at heaven with you. And Jesus said, get your feet out from under my table and go out and get them to come in because there is going to be a day when the doors of the feast will be closed and no one can come in. You're already in. Don't worry about what's going to happen when you get in. It's going to be great. But right now, Get your feet up from my table, go on out there, and compel them to come in. Now see, in the same way that those who are lost have excuses to come to Christ, those of us who are Christians sometimes have excuses not to witness. And you don't have to be a a big-time traveling evangelist. You don't have to be a great orator to witness. I'll show you that. Go in a, imagine yourself going to a store and, you, and you, you, you go in a store to buy something. Maybe you're in Kroger or Marsh or whatever it is and you're walking down the aisle and somebody sees you and they say, hey, don't we live in the same neighborhood? And you say, yeah, yeah, and you begin to talk and this thought comes to your mind. It says, invite them to church. You know what we do sometimes? What we do is we say, God, is that you talking to me? Because Lord... If that's you, then you know me. I'll ask her to come to church. And God says, yeah, I know you. God, is that you? Let's just settle something right now. Can we this morning? Satan is not going to prompt you to invite someone to church. It's not going to happen. I know he comes as an angel of light and he tries to trick and all that. But guess what? That's not one of his tricks. He's not going to prompt you to invite someone. To, and then you might say, well, okay, I know it's not the devil. But maybe it's just me. Maybe it's, de- that it's just me. It's not you. You're not that spiritual. <laughs> you are spiritual. You're very spiritual. But it's not you. It's not your flesh. It's God prompting you. That thought is God. And you think, well, what if they say no? It's okay. You've been told no before. I know I have. Maybe you have it. <laughs> I've been told no before. It's okay. Listen, you've planted a seed. Witnessing is really very, very easy. It actually happens very naturally. All witnessing is, is telling someone about someone you love. That's really all, that's what I'm talking about today. I'm not talking about carrying your Bible into Kroger and hitting somebody over the head with it and all that. Although, if that's effective for you. 
Think about it when you first fell in love. Some of the young people may have thought they've been in love, but some of us know. When you first fell in love, it's all you wanted to talk about. And us guys, you know, we, we, we know how that is. When a man falls in love with a woman, it's all he wants to do is, is spend time with her and talk about her. Even when he gets around his buddies, he's, he's talking about her. Or all of a sudden, he's not around as much anymore. From a guy's standpoint, we, we know what this means. All of a sudden, he's not around and we just look at each other and say, where's Bill? Bill went missing. Anyone seen Bill? Next thing you know, two weeks later, we see Bill at the mall carrying a purse. <laughs> He's never been to the mall before. Well, he is now, because guess what? Bill's in love, <laughs> and everybody knows it. The easiest way to begin witnessing is to first spend time with him. First spend time with him. Come in. And I promise you, spend time with him, and you can't help but talk about him. See, if you find yourself, and I found myself in this situation from time to time, not really talking about the Lord. You know, not that we would witness or talk about him every moment of every day, but I find myself having gone, you know, weeks and not have invited anybody to church or not given anybody outside of the church, you know, sort of a testimony or said God is good or anything like that. And what happens is, you can look and say, well, how much time have I spent with the Lord over these last couple weeks? And usually you'll find that it correlates. Haven't spent as much time with the Lord, haven't witnessed as much. You must first come in before you go out. Witnessing is very simple. Just spend time with him and talk about him. That's all you have to do. Spend time with him and talk about him. It's what God wants us to do. The last words before Jesus left this earth were what? Go and make disciples. Go out. But guess what? Before they went out, he told them to come in. Go to the upper room. Receive from me. And then when the fullness of time has come, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, then go out. I'm telling you this morning, saints, how to be fulfilled in Christ. Now, the thing that we need to understand is we'll never understand this concept unless we first know the Lord Jesus Christ in a very personal way. Or if we found ourselves away from the Lord for a time, we've broken fellowship with him, this concept will be difficult for us to understand. And I believe what Jesus is imploring us today is to go out, to witness. I mean, there's plenty of empty seats in here, but we don't want to come in just to fill seats. We want to come in so that people's lives are changed and they're living that same life, just like Jesus told that man. You're already in. Go out and get others so that they can come in. Stand to your feet this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to first say that if you do not know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior this morning, if you have never come in to His presence, 
It's a very simple process. We want to open it up this morning so that you have the opportunity to come into his presence. If there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ in a very personal way, just lift your hand this morning. This is your opportunity. If there's anyone here this morning, maybe you've been away from the Lord for a while. Maybe you've broken fellowship. And guess what? I'm not even going to ask you to come up this morning. Just lift your hand. I just want to pray for you where you are. Maybe you don't have fellowship. Thank you. I see that hand. Maybe you don't have fellowship like you know you should. Well, God is here this morning. Thank you. I see those hands this morning. Father, we come before you right now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you, O oh God, for you are good and your mercy endures forever. Father, I pray right now by your spirit that you would just touch those this morning that maybe not have the fellowship this morning that they know they need to have with you. God, you are a God of restoration. And I pray right now by your spirit that you would restore, oh God, in Jesus' name. Bring them back into fellowship with you. Come upon them with your spirit, oh God, and your love that you have set upon them, Lord. Make it so strong upon them, oh God, that they would just want to come into your presence. And once they are full this morning, I pray, oh God, that you would prompt us by your spirit to then go out and compel those to come in. Oh Lord, we bless you and we thank you this morning. I want to sing this song this morning before we go. God is saying, come unto me. He is saying, come unto me this morning. Saints, remember, before you can witness effectively, you must first come in. Hallelujah. Let's just worship this morning just for a moment before we leave. Get filled up. Get prepared so that God can use you. Amen. Hallelujah. Come unto me. Hallelujah. Open up your heart and worship. I am drawing you to me. Let's just worship him this morning. Don't hesitate. And you won't be disappointed. I am in.